Welcome to this sermon podcast from Myo Baptist Church, and thank you for listening to today's message. We pray that God's Word will be an encouragement to you and a reminder that the Bible has all the answers to living a successful and fulfilled life. Again, thanks for listening. We now join the service in progress. Come at this time, and uh, we uh, had eight boys out at our house last night. You know, when eight boys get together, a lot of things go wrong. And, uh, and a lot of things did go wrong, but his son got the worst of it. And uh, uh, because uh, one of his sons, uh, I think you were only there for about 15 minutes or so, and uh, he comes in and his jean pants are ripped from the crotch all the way down to the knees. And uh, I said, brother, what, what kind of kids do you have here? What are, what's going on here? And uh, by the way, we need our son's shorts back, okay? Um, so, uh, you know, you need to get our shorts back. But uh, anyway, good kids, good family, and uh, no doubt he's going to be a blessing to you right now. Brother Adam, why don't you come? Great to be here. We've already enjoyed getting to meet many folks here, and uh, we were here about eight years ago on deputation. Now we're coming back to what the great things that the Lord's been doing in the afternoon service. We'll take more time uh, to do that and specifically talk about the ministry, but I just wanted to say it's a privilege to be back again, and every church has its own kind of DNA, uh, and I, I like figuring it out. I like, and when I get to a church, I like seeing how many, how long I'm there before I kind of feel how this church clicks, and it's just a game for me. This church is very friendly, uh, very happy. A lot of times I don't say anything because, I, you know, it's not a lot of good things to say. Uh, but this church has got it going on, and uh, I love the fact that there's every age group here. I've been in some churches where the age group is about 80 to 90. I'm thinking, this is going to be a rough church in a few years. Um, but I love the kids, the teenagers, and just kind of every age group well represented. A great crowd today. It's good to see you. We're going to go in our Bibles to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. I want to encourage you as you're looking for John chapter 6 to, uh, after the service or, you know, sometime while we're here, uh, to get a prayer card. Uh, we've got those out on the back table. Uh, if you have children, encourage them to get their own prayer card. We really uh, have plenty and we have these on purpose. We want you to, to get them. And so uh, get a prayer card and uh, uh, thank you for your prayers. The Lord has been answering those in many, many ways. And uh, again, throughout the, throughout the day, you'll hear more of those answered prayers uh, that really go to your account. And uh, God's been very good. And also, uh, on the back table, we have uh, two different CDs uh, Esther and her sisters have made. They're professional CDs, uh, instrumental. Esther plays mostly the piano. And then her sisters play violin, viola, and cello, and mountain dulcimer. And so there's two different CDs uh, back there. And and uh, I want to encourage you to swing by, look at those. They're all hymns and things like that on the back. And uh, very well done. And those are $10 each, and that money goes towards helping our senior high uh, expansion, which, again, you'll hear about more of that in the afternoon. So I uh, want to encourage you to have good, godly Christian music in your home, conservative. And this is, uh, is music like that. It's music we listen to as we travel. And I uh, and want to be a blessing to many, and I hope that will be a help to you. Uh, John chapter 6 in your Bibles, you'll find that probably in the New Testament. John chapter 6. How many of you are awake this morning? I asked that in Sunday school. Three people raised their hand. I saw one person wiggle their finger. That was it. Okay, so of the awake people, let me try that again. How many of you are awake this morning? Okay, I was going to make you stand up for the whole message, but since you're obviously awake, uh, I'll let you remain seated. But uh, let's look in John chapter 6. There's a 
big story here, and we're going to see different parts of it. Uh, we're going to kind of jump in the middle, and then we're going to see before it and see the, really the exciting part uh, at the end. These stories kind of get split up, and even in preaching, uh, definitely parts you could preach uh, separately very easily. But we're going to try to see how this all comes together and why it's important the, to see all of these things coming together. So John chapter 6 and verse 1. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great multitude followed him, because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. And Jesus went up into a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples, and the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he saith unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. And Philip answered him, Two hundred penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, There is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? So as we come into this story, this is probably a familiar story to many. And if you've been in church for a number of years, you've probably heard messages uh, on this passage. And that's good. We're supposed to see... uh, everything in the Bible. And we're going to see more than just this part of the story, but it's a neat story and there's a lot going on more than just what we read in that passage. So if we were to go back and read the, what was happening right before this, verse 1 says, after these things. So when you see something like that and you're reading your Bible, you should definitely look and see, okay, something happened before that. These previous things have taken place and probably finished, and now we're leading up into something else. So we're just going to kind of talk about these things. You can see this uh, in Matthew or in Mark or in John. You can see these details and uh, to see what was going on before these things. What was going on before uh, verse 1. And so really shortly before uh, verse 1, I don't know exactly, but we're talking probably a few days, very, very short amount of time, uh, we see that John the Baptist was beheaded. Now this is obviously going to be a very difficult thing for Jesus and his disciples. They knew John the Baptist. Uh, obviously John the Baptist was the one who was the forerunner, the announcer for Jesus and for his ministry. John baptized Jesus. Uh, many of John's disciples started to follow Jesus. There was a lot of close connection. John and Jesus were cousins. And so there's a lot of things that would make these ministries close together and the people involved. And remember, eh, when we think about the disciples, when we think about Jesus, we think, you know, superhuman, disconnected from reality. It's really not the case. These are people, including Jesus. He had the same emotions that we do, though he was still 100% God. He was 100% man. And we see these emotions are involved in life. And they uh, were emotionally affected by John being beheaded. And he had done nothing wrong. He was just preaching and good preaching at that. And he was preaching against and condemning sin. And, you know, people didn't like that. And so we, we see this uh, unfortunate circumstance and difficult time. Basically, at that same time, Jesus and his disciples are in a very busy time of ministry, ministering to others. Jesus was healing others, meeting their physical and spiritual needs, and uh, they were so busy. It says they couldn't take time for them. They couldn't take care of themselves, not even to eat. Now, I've been busy in life from time to time, but I made time to eat. In fact, today, uh, it's kind of a busy day, 
But there has been lots of eating going on already today. I ate before we came over. I ate here at the church. Uh, here there's more eating coming later. This is a good thing. Uh, and, you know, as Baptists, we kind of make time to eat. They're so busy helping needy people, they don't have time to eat. That's busy. You know what happens when you get busy like that? You get tired. A couple of things happen. One, you get tired. Two, you get hungry. What happens when you don't eat. Three, it's easy to get discouraged. When you're tired and sick, hungry would be basically the same as sick. I try to avoid it like the plague, you know. I never want to be hungry. So, you know, you try to take care of that. You fill up. And so when you're tired and you're uh, sick or hungry, you could say, uh, it's really easy to get discouraged even though they're doing great things. Now, who thinks it would be very exciting to watch Jesus just heal person after person after person? Who thinks that would be exciting? I'd like to do that. Now, would you like to do that so much that you no longer get to take care of yourself? Well, yes, for a few days maybe. And then we kind of think, man, I'm kind of tired and hungry, and I want to I think about me a little bit. And we, we are human. We kind of need to take care of ourselves. This is necessary. But we kind of run into different emotions. We're not sure how to act or react when there's a lot of good things going on. I just got off a week of VBS, and I wasn't here for any of the VBS. But as a pastor, I know kind of what goes into uh, stuff like that. A lot of people are here today, and they're finally sitting down for about the first time in three weeks, and they're like, oh, this seat feels so soft. Uh, and, you know, they've been working hard. And it's good stuff, and it's necessary, but it's tiring. And so we have this busy time of ministry and a lot of emotion, which again uh, makes more tired. And then we get into verse 1, and it's like Jesus says, you know what, we need some vacation time. We need to get away. After these things, you know, after all this stuff had taken place, and he says, we need to get away from everybody. And Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And so this is a small sea. It's not a huge journey, but it's putting some distance between Jesus and everybody looking for Jesus. You know, um, some people maybe have this issue. It's never been my problem that people just kind of flock to me by the thousands. I, you know, it's never really been my thing. I maybe mean, when Brother Jamie's preaching, that's probably how it happens. You know, he can't sneak into town. Everyone just kind of floods out uh, to see him. I don't really don't have that problem. I can get in out of town. Nobody knows. Uh, it, it, that wasn't Jesus' thing. Everybody wanted to literally have a part of him. Everybody wanted to uh, get close. And it was really for their personal benefit. Why were these people going to Jesus? Because they could learn? No, because they were sick. And they wanted to get healed. Hey, this is awesome. He's giving out free stuff, and it doesn't even cost anything. And it's free. I mean, you, you, you start putting those things together, and people just line up, and they were. So Jesus says, let's get out of town. Let's, you know, put some distance between us and everybody else, and let's get away, and let's have some disciple in Jesus time, some time to physically refresh, renew, just rest a little bit. And that's great. And, you know, you need to allow and make your pastor get away. This, the fact that he's away uh, for right now is awesome. And you, some people think, man, pastors shouldn't take a vacation. That is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Uh, it's necessary to get away from people. And you know why? Because people are difficult. Um, who knew that people were difficult? Okay, uh, if you've ever been around people, they're difficult. Honestly, ministry is very easy without people. Once you involve people, it gets complicated, difficult, and a headache. And so you need some time away from people. You need some time to just renew and get with God and just kind of, you know, 
get your strength back up. And it's not that you are discouraged and you're, you know, crawling out of church every day. It's just you kind of need a change of pace every now and then. So Jesus and his disciples are going to take, take this change of pace. Okay, we're going to back off. It's not that there's no more need. It's just that we're going to take some time to take care of us. Well, some of these people saw them getting in a boat and heading across the sea, and they say, hey, we know where they're going. He's got this really cool place up in the mountain. Let's go follow him. He forgot to take us with him on his vacation. Imagine that. <laughs> and they go cruising after Jesus. You know, many of them would be walking uh, to get there. And it's like, look, if I wanted to invite you, I would have. And so Jesus is away with his disciples. They're finally like, yes, finally, we get to get away. And then the multitude shows up. You know, down here in like verse um, four, five, when Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him. And when we see a great company, we're thinking, wow, man, we have a couple hundred in church. We're excited. This was a little larger. Uh, you got Jesus and his disciples. They're off in the, we'll just say cabin in the mountains. And now, if you go out in the cabin in the mountains for family vacation, do you let everybody in the church know when to show up for breakfast? It would not be vacation. Well, this is basically what happens. They get away, and they're just chilling, just calm, relaxed, and the people start showing up, lots of them. And if you look further in the, in the passage, you would see that it's about 5,000 men, not counting women and children. That's a lot. That, uh, think about that. If, if we had, we'll just say, and you could really calculate this a lot of different ways, but you could come up with a lot of people. Say there's 5,000 men. If you look around today and do just the men in comparison to men and, uh, and ladies, uh, young people, you know, under 18 or whatever, uh, children, you'd see that there's actually a lot of other people besides just men in the auditorium. And that's just, you know, normal. And so you say, well, there's probably, you know, a woman for every man, more or less. Uh, we'll say they have two kids each. So that puts us up to uh, 20,000 people. But it was really common to have more than two kids in the Bible times. It was very common to have eight, 10, 12 kids per wife. And you'd have, we were joking about that the other night, about uh, why people would have more than one wife. I still don't get that. But uh, yeah, don't do it. Don't do it, okay? Uh, and so you have a lot of people. It wouldn't be difficult to uh, say that there was 40 or 50,000 people there. But really, the Bible is not clear how many were there. There was just 5,000 men, not counting women and children. We'll just say 25,000 people. That's a lot. It really doesn't matter after you get over about 500. It's all about the same. Uh, there's lots of people. Lots of people. And so uh, there's going to be, I, I believe, food today. Uh, one of the ladies was out here working on yesterday, getting all the food uh, uh, prepared up, which is, you know, I walked into the kitchen. I was uh, walking through with Brother Dave. I was like, ooh, that smells good. And uh, I was getting, getting in the spirit you know, last night, just getting ready for today. And so you think, well, there's going to be food. Now, what would this church do if during the food time an extra 25,000 people showed up to eat? Pastor Jamie's like, hey, would you run down to the store real quick and just get food for like 25,000 people? Just maybe take a couple teenagers with you and, uh, (laughs) like, what are you going to do? Seriously, that's just a major logistical problem. And there are sick people and they're tired people and they're not even supposed to be there. This wasn't a church service. They weren't invited. Uh, This is a problem. And so Jesus and his disciples are out on vacation because they're really tired and they needed a time away from everybody and then everybody shows up. And now the Bible does not really tell us what the disciples were thinking. But I know what I would be thinking. Seriously? (laughs) 
why are you here? Away with you. Uh, let's disappear. Let's hide under a rock. Let's just get away from all of these people. There's tons of them. Let's, uh, Jesus can do one of his disappearing acts and we can just walk through the crowd and just end up some other place. Why are these people here? Jesus had compassion on them. And he sees this great big group of people. And he starts talking to Philip and says, hey, we need to buy bread. Uh, where are we going to buy bread for everyone? And Philip's like, with what money? This is a lot of money. How are we supposed to provide for all of these needs? What are we going to do? And then we see in this great big group of people, if you're taking notes, number one, Jesus used a person. He used a person. The problem with being in part of a group or a church or, or one of many Christians is that you kind of feel like God doesn't know me. God doesn't really pay attention to me. I'm just a person, and look how many other people there are. There are obviously other people more important or more talented or more beautiful or whatever you want to say. God is not paying attention to me. He doesn't know me. And uh, he does. God does know you. And God is paying attention to you. And God really wants to use you for who you are. It's, I don't know why teenagers, well, not just teenagers, I guess it starts when you're a teenager, uh, they have this thing, they want to be like the other person. And so suddenly they start pretending, and they're like, wow, look at that person, they're real popular and cool, and so I'm going to try to be like that person so I can be popular and cool. And what happens is it doesn't work. And you say, why can't I be like that person? Because God didn't make you to be that person. God made you to be the person that you are. And we're all made specifically by God to do a purpose uh, that God has for our lives. And you are the only person in the entire world who can do God's will for your life. So don't, you know, think that you're unimportant or insignificant. Uh, Nothing could be farther from the truth. God wants to use every person. And he made you specifically so you can be used. And so we see this lad here who shows up and really don't have a lot of background on how he shows up, but somehow he shows up and presents food to Jesus through one of the disciples. And so I think maybe he was standing close enough to hear the conversation about Jesus talking about food. He says, Jesus is hungry. I'm going to give him my lunch. Now, I know that people in Michigan are very educated. I'm not supposed to mention that I'm from Ohio, so I won't. But... uh, (laughs) You told me, right? Don't tell anybody I'm from Ohio. Okay, got it. And so, uh, but I know people in Michigan are very educated. I'm actually not anti-Michigan. I love it up here. It's cold, but I love it up here. And uh, I haven't seen cold weather like last night for years. You know, we don't have like, stuff like that in El Salvador. But let's do a math problem, one of these word problems. If you have one lunch and you give it all to Jesus, how much is left? Come on, I just said everybody in Michigan is well-educated. This is a simple word problem. Somebody help me out. If you have one lunch, you give it all to Jesus, what do you have left? Thank you. Okay, none. You don't have anything left. So this boy gave up his whole lunch to Jesus. And so if the boy gave up his whole lunch, what is he going to eat? You come back to the nothing. Okay, and just a note there, he didn't give his... 10% uh, of his lunch. All right, we'll just measure this out here and make sure Jesus doesn't get too much of my stuff. It wasn't his concern. He said, Jesus needs something. I'm going to do my part. It's all I have. I'm going to give it. And so Jesus takes this food, and in verse 10, we see Jesus provided for a multitude. And Jesus said, make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, a number about 5,000. 
Jesus took the loaves, and when he, had, uh, when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples, and the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes, as much as they would. When they were filled, he said unto the disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered them together, and filled twelve baskets with the fragments uh, of the five barley loaves, which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. And so we see a huge increase. Jesus took just a little bit, and he did amazing things with it. And you can see this all through the Bible. And really, if we could take a lot of time looking at that, but not, we're not going to. But if you start thinking about famous people in the Bible, and people that nobody knew before, and God used them in amazing ways uh, later. This morning, uh, we were reading about Gideon. Uh, when we were, my wife and I were doing our devotions. And you think, wow, Gideon's kind of a big nobody. And suddenly, he gets used in an amazing way. He's, he's one of the judges that frees the uh, people of Israel. You think about uh, David. You think about Daniel. And you, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Just some guys who took a stand. And, and you think about uh, Saul, who later uh, was known as the Apostle Paul. And you think, who are these people? And then suddenly, they're famous. And they get used of God in a great way. God uses a little bit and blesses in a great way. When you go to Mayo, Michigan on the map, there's not a lot there, actually. Uh, you, you, some of you may not realize that, but if you pull out an atlas, Mayo's a dot. Uh, there's not like these outlying roads around Mayo. There's just kind of a, well, three roads, right? Four. Uh, yeah, we were... We, got on the wrong road, so I know this because we were looking at the map yesterday trying to figure out, where is Mayo anyway? And since there's no cell service up here for uh, Metro PCS, I was like, wow, we're really middle of nowhere. I can't even use my smartphone. Uh, you know, and, and you come here on the church property and say, wow, look what God has done. This is a beautiful facility and, and big land and meticulously cared for. And you walk through the buildings, you say, wow, God has done a lot with just a little bit. Now, I don't know, but I don't think there's a lot of millionaires in Mayo. There's just faithful people, and God is, is out here using just a little bit from everybody. And, and you've got a beautiful facility, and people know of the church, and they know of God and God's love. And you have a VBS and people saved, and you think, wow, this is so cool to see God using just a little bit in a great way. He's doing the same thing in El Salvador. And like I mentioned we're going to talk about that uh, later, but just to mention a few things uh, in El Salvador, uh, where we're at is, is Cojutepeque, El Salvador, and uh, you, you, God has changed lives. We've seen a lot of people saved, baptized, discipled, and uh, our first couple that we met was Walter and Myra. They weren't married. They were coming to the church. They had a little girl, and they were living together, and they obviously wanted to learn about the Bible, had no clue Myra literally knew nothing of the Bible. She'd never read it. She'd never opened it. Uh, she was raised Catholic. She would crawl up mountains on her knees trying to find grace with God. And that's not necessary. You don't have to hurt yourself to make God happy. He doesn't want that. Jesus paid it all. We don't need to uh, be doing harm to us. That's not God's plan. And she was doing this with no knowledge of why just somebody told her that's what you do and so they come into discipleship and we were just out of language school and uh when you're doing a second language it's very difficult uh i you know we didn't have it down and you, we were lacking most of the biblical biblical vocabulary and the pronunciation was terrible and i'm not been good in english and then i said well forget english we'll try spanish it's you know it worked i guess but it was uh it was rough for 
a while, a couple years. And so uh, they're helping us pronounce the words, and then we're defining them and giving application, and, and they're growing, and they get married, and I hire Walter onto uh, maintenance uh, there on our uh, church and school property. It was years and years without maintenance, and so he uh, jumped in helping with that. Now he's uh, the assistant, and my assistant in the church, the school, the uh, Bible college. He's... Uh, taking charge of everything while we're gone. He's uh, come through several difficult situations and just doing phenomenal. And you think, wow, God has really changed lives. Myra, is, uh, who had no Bible knowledge previously, just graduated from our four-year seminary, Bible seminary. Uh, she's one of our Bible teachers in our Christian school. She's one of our best soul winners and, uh, and the, the disciplers, however that word goes, people who disciple others. And uh, you think, wow, how does God do that? He changes lives. That's what he does. Um, it would take a long time to tell the whole story, but another couple, Edwin and, and Rosa, literally right in front of our church building. And so there it's close enough that uh, you can hear. That would be like from here to the parking lot. We have no parking lot. So just the other side of, uh, of the street is the, their houses and a row of houses and uh, uh, all concrete walls. Everyone shares walls there. And so uh, we have an open building. We have no back wall on purpose. This side over here is kind of open, uh, high up for ventilation. And so the sound carries. And so everyone comes to church, whether they want to or not, they're going to hear the preaching. And so uh, they're hearing the preaching. And finally, we've been inviting the church for years. Uh, they came and... Uh, Rosa was a practicing witch, and, and so when we had him to our house, and she uh, told us that, she said, so what am I supposed to do? I can't be a witch and be a Christian. So what do I choose? Being a witch is my income. So do I provide for my family, or do I follow God? <laughs> well, I didn't tell her she couldn't do both. She figured that out all by herself. It's pretty amazing. And then I didn't tell her she had to decide between the two. She figured that out all by herself as well. So what do you tell somebody? I said, keep coming to church. She said, do you know what I do for a living? Yes, I got that. Keep coming to church. We love you. We want you to have the air, and we want you to keep learning from the Bible. And so she did. And uh, over a process a long time, Evan and Rebecca both came up to us after one service on a, on a Sunday, right after our couples conference that they attended, and they said, we want to get saved now. So we went up to the office, and, and they both bowed their heads and got saved. Their son got saved. Uh, then Rosa's sister uh, and her family started coming to church and very active in our church now. Her other sister and her family started coming uh, to the church and just kind of spread. You say, wow, God really changes people. In fact, uh, Rosa is going to be helping with uh, all the decorations for the ladies' meeting coming up in a, a few weeks after we get back. And Edwin, this morning, was using his car and his gas uh, to go pick up an elderly lady in the church and bring her uh, to church. God just changes people, and that's what he does. He takes a little bit and he blesses and makes it much, much bigger. And so we see this uh, difficult time, tiring time, kind of coming into another time of minister and ministering to other people. And then you kind of see the disciples are kind of, you know, it doesn't matter where they go or what they do, they're just kind of not coming out ahead on this rest and relaxation idea. And so we jump into uh, Mark chapter 14. That may be better to go to Matthew. Matthew 14. You'll find it there. Matthew 14. You can go to Mark, but I'm not going to go there. Matthew 14. And we're reading a parallel passage of what happens after Jesus takes and multiplies, blesses, feeds all these people in a miraculous way. 
And it, it was a miracle. Some people try to reason it out and say, well, after Jesus started sharing with, with his boy, everyone started pulling out food and sharing. If that was the case, there was no need to feed everybody. Everybody would have already had food. Uh, it was a miracle. You can't calculate it. You can't f- uh, figure it out. You can't reason it away. God did the impossible. He fed thousands of people with just a little bit of food. It's awesome. And that's what God does. Uh, his power is still the same today. He can still do miracles. He can still, from nothing or from a little bit, however he chooses, he can do amazing and huge things. This has not changed at all. But we're going to keep reading in the story. And really, my favorite part, Matthew fourteen twenty one. we're just going to Continue on where we were. And that they had eaten were about 5,000 men beside women and children. And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. So they'd already crossed in the morning. Now they're going to kind of go back and they're going to go without him. And he's going to stay there with all the people. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, if you study that out, that's between 3 and 6 a.m. So they've been at this a long time. They left sometime in the afternoon, maybe, late afternoon, because when evening was come, when it turned evening, Jesus was by himself. He'd already dismissed the disciples and the people. So somewhere in that process, he had dismissed the disciples. So they've been out there for hours. And they've been kind of tired. After you've been doing something all night, uh, you're tired. But these are professionals, several of them. They know how to handle a boat. It would be just as normal for them to get on a boat and cross the sea as it would be for us to get in our car and go home. Most of us are not really thinking about that. It's just what you do. You get in, you turn the key, put it in gear, and away you go. And you don't even have to really think about how to get home because you've just done it so many times. That's kind of the situation for several of them. They're professionals. They know how to handle the the boat. They know how to handle uh, this particular sea. All night long, they're out there, and they're not making any progress. So we're out here in the between 3 and 6 a.m. Uh, basically, you know, they've been out there all night, and it's not working for them. So we go from tired and busy to busy to now tired and busy and fruitless. It's kind of a frustrating time for the disciples. It just kind of keeps going on. Sometimes we feel like we're in a little rat wheel. You know, like, I keep going, but I'm not getting anywhere. And the disciples might have been feeling like that. And now they're like, and now Jesus, like, this is supposed to be a day with Jesus. And where is he? We're out here in the middle of the sea. We're not getting anywhere. We're frustrated. We're tired, obviously. After you stay up working all night, that happens. And, um, you know, their day got uh, rained on by all these other people. And you could kind of get frustrated with all the happenings And if you were to think like the disciples are thinking, it would be very easy to start thinking, what am I doing out here? And why did Jesus send us on this sea if we knew we weren't going to get anywhere? Now, who do you think sent the wind? I think that was Jesus, okay? This was not a surprise. Nothing was a surprise to Jesus. It's kind of all orchestrated. But from the disciples' point of view, not well orchestrated. That question, why, keeps coming up. Come on, give me a break. Have you ever said that? Like, Seriously? Another thing? Like, everything going on wasn't enough. There's now this on top of it. And that's kind of how it gets to you. You kind of see a climax. Like, are you serious? There's no rest for the weary, literally. And so they're out here. And going back to verse 24, 25, in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I, be not afraid. Verse 28 is strange. 
And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Why would Peter say that? Jesus did not go to Peter and said, if you believe in me, get out of the boat. That's not how it went. Peter said to Jesus, if you're real, if you're legit, if that's really you, tell me to get out of my safety zone, get out of my comfort zone, get out of my known surroundings, and go do the impossible. Why would he ask for the impossible? You say, what impossible? Walking on the water? That's impossible. Who believes that it is impossible to walk on top of water? Okay, me too. Uh, if you don't believe it, I'm sure you can find water around here somewhere. Try it. Uh, take a towel with you. Uh, it doesn't work. You can't walk on top of the water. I believe it's impossible. I also believe that Jesus walked on top of the water. I believe it happened. It's in the Bible. I don't have any doubt. That it's impossible, but it happened. God did it. And so Jesus was walking on top of the water, and he's cruising. I mean, just no problem. They've been out here all night. I don't know how long Jesus was walking on top of the water, but he had time to dismiss the multitude. He had time to go apart into the mountain and pray and then go out to the disciples. He had a long time, and during that whole time, the disciples are out there not making any progress, and he just comes cruising along, walking, and Peter says, hey, you know what? My way is not working for me. He's one of the professionals. He knows how to drive a boat. He says, this is not working for me. I'm not making any progress. Jesus is doing really cool things. Look at him go. Wow, I want to do that. And he did. How many people in history, any book, have ever walked on top of the water in all of the history of humanity? Somebody help me out. Two. What are their names? Jesus and Peter. He did something nobody else had ever done. and That's the first time he'd ever seen it. And he says, hey, I want to do that too. And he did it. Jesus didn't reprimand him for trying to do the impossible. He said, come. Yeah, this is no problem. Jesus was not worried about it. He's not trying to calculate real quick. Uh, Do I have enough power left to let Peter walk on top of the water? I mean, seriously, this wasn't an issue. Peter asked for it, though. Somebody came up to me, a pastor. He said, so what do you think about this issue of less people being called into the ministry? (laughs) I was like, do you want to know what I think, or do you want me to agree with you? Because I don't agree with that question. I don't think less people are being called into the ministry. I do think less people are surrendering, volunteering. I volunteered to go into the ministry before God pushed on my heart to go into ministry. And that's what Peter said. He said, look, God, basically, if you're real, let me do the impossible. Let me go do what you're doing. And Jesus said, come. This is fine. I'm not, I'm not worried about it. We need people of any age. Some people say, I'm too old, I'm too young, I'm too middle-aged, whatever, to serve God with my life. And it doesn't always mean full-time ministry. But it should be full-time Christian as God wants you to serve. And so we should be willing to say, okay, God, if you're real, and he is, I want to do whatever you want me to do. God, I want to be used to reach that unreached people group. I want to be used to uh, help in this way. I want to be used to reach this family member with the gospel. God, I want to do something for you. I want to step out of the boat by faith and let you take care of the details. Is that okay, God? 
God is not going to say, sorry, um, kind of working miracles in other people's lives right now. You just have to wait until I catch up and get back to this part of the country. It doesn't work that way. He's not limited by time, by people, by, by circumstances. God wants to use us, all of us. But we've got to be willing. We've got to surrender. We've got to step out. And you say, but I've got my job. I've got my career. I've got my expectations. I've got my whatever thing in life. Don't worry about the stuff of life. First of all, you don't have to give up everything to follow God. You just need to be willing to give up everything. And then once you are willing to give up everything, you don't care if you lose it or not. I say to people, man, I can never leave. I love my house. I'm like, okay, so build another one. Well, I could never go where be a missionary. God would call me to Timbuktu. There's actually people who live there in Timbuktu. And I guess I've heard so many people say that God would send me to Timbuktu. I'm like, uh, they need another church in Timbuktu. I mean, seriously, that's a real place. That's not a problem. God would call me to somewhere, and you know, if you're from Michigan, you'd say God would call me somewhere where it's always hot. And then people in El Salvador say God would call me somewhere where it's always cold. They're literally, this isn't even a joke. Latinos in general are scared of going to a place like Michigan because it snows here. And they say, if I surrender to be a missionary, God will send me to some place where it's always under snow. And people think that you guys are Eskimos. It's hilarious. Uh, I was telling a couple of folks in, in El Salvador, we're in Michigan. They're like, is it snowing? No, not today. Uh, <laughs> you know, and, and you just have this mindset and you think, life would be terrible if I had to serve God. Nothing could be farther from the truth. There is nothing better than serving God with your life. Whatever God wants you to do, do it. So Peter said, God, I want to test you. I want to do the impossible. Can I do it? Jesus said, sure. Come on out. He said, well, preacher, at the end of the story, Peter gets his eyes off of Jesus and he starts to sink. Yeah, he does. And that wasn't the end of his ministry. He cried out to Jesus. Jesus picked him up and said, hey, keep your eyes focused. Stay on track. Everything will work out. Let's get back in the boat. Boom, now they're at their, their destination. He learned uh, that he could do the impossible. And then when he started thinking about, uh-oh, look at all the circumstances. He's like, oh, this isn't going to work out. And Jesus was still in control. God doesn't just throw us out in the deep end and say, okay, have fun. We'll see you in eternity. That's not how it works out. He's with us every step of the way. But we need to be willing to just surrender. Basically, there's three areas of life we administrate. Our time, our treasure, our talent. That's what we have and use. Are you willing to just basically say, okay, God, here's my whole life, my time, my talent, my treasure, everything. Use it and me how you want to. I'm willing. You fill in the blanks. Are you willing? Are you surrendered? You say, well, years ago I surrendered. It may be time to re-surrender. It's not just a one-time decision. It's a daily habit of, okay, God, this is what you've given me. Do what you want to with me. If you're here this morning and you've got a stronghold, it doesn't necessarily mean sin. Something in your life you're not willing to give up to just serve the Lord. Why don't you evaluate that and see what's going to have more eternal value? That job, that career, that house, that whatever, or it could be a sin also that is interfering. And you say, I'm not willing to give this up. Not willing to give it up to follow God, the creator of the universe, who loves you and made you to do exactly his will 
and to enjoy every part of it, don't be afraid of just letting go and letting God direct. He'll take good care of you. As we come into the invitation in just a moment, I want you to evaluate your life. Is there something in your life that you're not willing to give to God? Give it to him. Let him fill in the blanks. Let him work out the details. Let's have heads bowed and eyes closed. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that the service was a blessing to you and that you were encouraged by God's word. If you have any questions about Mayo Baptist Church, please contact us anytime. You can find contact information on our website at myobaptistchurch.com. Thanks for listening.